Welcome to Piecemeal, an Emily program podcast where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. I'm your host, Claire Holtz, and on today's episode, we are going to be discussing the complex relationship between eating disorders and exercise. Joining us to cover this tricky topic is Shana Washburn, the Emily Program's Director of Nutrition and Food Services. Hi, Shana. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. We're excited to have you. Could you start by just telling us about your new position at the Emily Program and how it's been? Sure. Yes. Yeah, so this is this is a new position at the Emily Program, um, and I am new to it. Um, in this director position, I am uh, the department um, head for the clinical side, the nutrition clinical side, um, and then also for the food service side of the Emily Program. Great. So you came recommended to be on the podcast by one of those dietitians, and he recommended you because he said you had a particular interest in focus and knowledge about exercise and eating disorders. Can you talk about where that interest came from? Sure. So um, that interest is, you know, before I became a dietitian, um, I I was a dance instructor, um, and that was an area that I have a real strong passion in and, and had wanted to pursue for quite some time um, prior to pursuing nutrition. Um, and then when I learned more about nutrition and um, what that would allow me to do in my career, I, I went down that path. But dance and um, movement are still a big part of my life. What kind of dance did you do? I taught hip hop, uh, jazz, tap, um, a bit of contemporary. Nice. I taught ballet to the little ones. Okay. Um, hip hop is by, by far my favorite, and I'd say contemporary next. Great. So starting with the basics, is there, from what you would say, a connection between exercise and eating disorders, or are they mutually exclusive? I think there's absolutely a connection. Yeah, um, they, can be, they can be exclusive, but there's absolutely a connection. How would you define the connection between exercise and eating disorders? Would you say that exercise can cause eating disorders? Is it a risk factor? Is there a certain degree of exercise that will definitely cause an eating disorder? What's the relationship? Mm. Oh man, that's such a great question. I don't, I don't know if it is going to be just one or the other. Um, I think that there are some, in my experience, there are some types of activity, um, and I'm also noticing. I, I like to use the word activity or movement. Um, I prefer that over exercise, and I'm happy to share with you why in a bit. But um, I think that there are some types of activity or movement uh, that are more prone to as a culture. Um, kind of being a risk factor for developing eating disorders, uh, such as um, soccer or dance, cross-country, um, gymnastics, wrestling. Um, and, and there are some others that are, are not, and I'm not sure if we're totally clear on why. Why do you prefer activity and movement over exercise? The word exercise, if you look up the definition of it, um, implies control and wanting to control something, whether it be um, controlling our, our speed and our time, um, controlling our performance, controlling body, controlling weight, some kind of control, um, versus seeing activity as joyous um, and, and mm, sustainable um, and part of our life in that way. 
Yeah, yeah. And the word movement or saying activity feels more fluid to me. Um, you know, in this space right now, as I'm speaking with you, I, I am moving. I am moving my chair. Um, I could also say that if I were to get up and do jumping jacks, I am moving. Um, but when we when we use that word exercise, suddenly there are certain activities that we do that um, qualify, and there are some that don't. And then that can really create rigid behaviors and patterns and beliefs. What would you consider to be a healthy level of activity? And then when does it turn into what people refer to as excessive exercise? When we're talking about excessive versus healthy, there's a lot of um, different things that we need to consider. One would be uh, the association with it, um, why somebody is doing the particular um, more intentional activity. Um, When I say intentional, I mean, you know, why are they playing tennis versus why are they just sort of moving their arms the way that they're moving their arms. Um, And and so looking behind the intention is important. Um, also factoring in, how, are, they, are they nourishing their body adequately for that activity? Now that being said, there are um, athletes who absolutely adequately nourish their body um, and yet their level of physical activity or their intensity or the duration and whatnot is, is excessive or compulsive. Um, so those would be a few of the different parameters. It can't, it's, not, it's not very black and white, is it? <laughs> it's definitely not, no. Yeah, so I would always encourage people to consider what is the intention um, and to ask themselves, so what if I didn't do this activity today? Um, how might that feel for me? Would it be distressing? Um, can I abstain? What if I were to break an ankle? You know, let's, let's hope that doesn't happen, but what if I were to break an ankle and then I'm, I'm out of commission for a bit? How am I going to be able to tolerate that? Do I f- then feel as though I need to compensate um, with food or that um, I wouldn't be able to emotionally cope if I didn't do this activity? And am I adequately nourishing my body in general? Am I able to get a variety of different foods in? Um, am I, do I feel um, pressure to eat a particular way um, or to not eat certain foods? So we're talking mostly about excessive exercise and healthy levels of exercise, activity and movement. But what about individuals who refuse to engage in any type of movement? Mm-hmm. That's what I like to call exercise resistance. Um, and individuals who might be resistant um, to engage in activity, um, really, there there's often a strong... Um, history of dieting and using um, activity as a means to diet and control one's body. Uh, So the association with activity is so negative um, that it, it the concept of um, activity or movement being something that could be utilized in another way um, for enjoyment, let's just say, um, is, is so foreign. And so there'd be so much resistance um, to actually partaking. Um, Also, there may be people who, um, as they uh, find themselves doing an activity, become so hyper aware of their body um, that that could bring up different levels of trauma for them. Um, And so on the one hand, some people find that activity um, brings them to a disconnected space where they can disconnect from their body. It may bring others so fully into their body that that um, uh, can, can trigger different trauma reactions and responses. 
Do we treat folks that are considered exercise resistant or is that something we don't work with at the EMILY program? Oh, we absolutely work with those individuals as well. And and the goal, the end goal, would um, is not going to be black and white either. The end goal would be really working with the individual client to clearly identify what are their hopes and goals, um, their ultimate goals with uh, movement, Where how does movement, how would they like movement to fit into their life, um, if, if at all. Um, down the line. So there'd be no hidden agenda around um, forcing somebody to be active or to completely disengage for the rest of their life. We want it to be a sustainable relationship. So going back to those that exercise too much or compulsively, or they have rigid rules set in place that are interrupting their daily life, the term orthorexia comes to mind. Can you define what orthorexia is? Yes. Orthorexia (coughs) is... um, I find when somebody is uh, overly rigid with the very, very specific types of food. So I'm not just talking, um, do they allow themselves to eat, um, you know, X amount of calories, let's say, but getting very particular about the quality of food um, and what they might deem to be quote unquote healthy. And I I use these sort of air quotes for that word healthy because healthy is an um, ever-changing subjective word um, that varies location to location and and year by year is always evolving. Um, So people who have the sort of orthorexic tendencies are very particular about the types of foods that they feel are healthy, um, not just perhaps even the amount of food um, that they would allow themselves to eat. eat. Um, They tend to feel, uh, have a, a very unique sort of sense of self um, when eating the foods that they believe to be deemed okay and acceptable or or healthy to eat versus foods that they don't feel are healthy to eat, um, have a real sense of um, um, accomplishment and and there's a lot of safety um, for them in eating those kinds of foods. I absolutely see the crossover with orthorexia and compulsive um, exercise or, or, or excessive exercise as well, though. So being healthy isn't bad inherently, obviously. But when in orthorexia do you start to see it becoming a problem? Because at first it does just seem like people are eating healthy. Yeah. Well, first I want to start with the question around health. Um, that word is is one that we I when I've been in groups when I've led groups or even in individual sessions I really like to break it down because like I had just mentioned it's very subjective um, and holds a lot of different meanings and and um, really health when it comes down to it if we are overly rigid is that healthy is that um, impacting our life in a negative way holding us back in in some way for example if if somebody likes to argue that uh, French fries are unhealthy, um, then, which I would not say, but if somebody were to say eating French fries is, is unhealthy, uh, well, eating French fries um, is, is a perfectly normal food to eat. And there are times where French fries, A, might be the only food available, B, might be just sort of part of the, the social norm of a particular day. Um, or at an event, let's say, uh, or maybe we actually enjoy the French fries and, and we want to be able to eat them in a way that feels um, peaceful and um, without judgment, without sort of consequences um, in our mind. And so I think it's important to, to consider that um, being overly rigid might in fact 
be unhealthy versus there being particular foods that are healthy or unhealthy. If someone is overly rigid in their food choices and they're struggling with that, is that something we would treat at the EMILY program or do we only really treat the five categories of eating disorders we know? Absolutely, it would be something that we would treat. So we'll give that number at the end of the show and all that information. But right now, if we're talking about someone who calls the EMILY program, is struggling with rigid eating or excessive exercise, and then they're admitted to treatment, does all exercise have to stop or what does that look like? It's really individualized, and that, that's something that I'm, um, I'm really proud of the EMILY program for, is being able to truly individualize that treatment. It, it depends on a lot of variables there. You know, it depends on um, the, the severity um, of that person's relationship with, with activity. Um, I suppose in that context I could say with exercise, um, as it would have likely have been controlling. Um, it also depends on their, their um, medical status and their level of nourishment. Um, I want to also say that it would depend on their uh, just relationship with body and activity overall. So um, if they're in a place where they are medically stable and um, adequately able to start nourishing their body appropriately, um, and uh, they, they really are willing to do the difficult work of being flexible with activity, then, you know, we might just start there. Um, but if they're, if they're not in a medically stable place, then we're, we're likely to say, you know, we might need to take a bit of a pause. And we offer yoga in recovery. So we have yoga at our treatment centers and outpatient clients can participate in yoga as well, right? Yes. So what makes that yoga different than the conventional yoga that I think pops to our mind? <laughs> For example, like the big studio ones where there's mirrors everywhere and everyone yeah. is in the just highest fashion athletic gear. <laughs> yes, we're in their Lululemon. <laughs> so what's the difference when we do it here? Oh, so much. Um, so for starters, our yoga is more restorative yoga, as I understand it. Now, I'm going to also preface with saying I, I am not, yoga is not my, my strongest knowledge of activity, but um, our yoga is more restorative um, yoga. It is, is certainly not hot yoga. Um, and it is done with a very clear intention Um, depending on the level of care, um, from residential all the way to any of our outpatient groups that we might hold that are body image yoga. Our yoga instructors are also receiving training and support, ongoing support to ensure that they they understand what the intention is behind yoga um, here at the Emily Program. The intention is to, um, is twofold. One, it would be to uh, help decrease anxiety um, and to to slowly gradually um, incorporate some um, more awareness of body. How can those in recovery know what an appropriate amount of movement is for them? So when they're in recovery and if they're in a um, program at the Emily program, we would be working with them, uh, the dietitians would be working with them, their therapists would be working with them to start identifying um, for them what are those indicators. Generally speaking though, uh, let's say they didn't come from a program and they're, they're just sort of out and outpatient here. Um, generally, I would say that the intent um, the intent behind the activity that one is engaging in um, is really important to take a look at. Um, also, examining 
uh, is somebody able to take a rest day? Um, are they uh, able to, you know, leave the, the gym or leave um, dance class earlier if they needed to, um, or just because they wanted to? Um, are they able to sort of cut back or not go? Um, does it feel, does it bring them joy and um, excitement? Or does it feel like a have to, a checkoff list? Um, also, is it impacting their food intake because they just engage in an activity? Do they feel as though um, they now have permission to eat? Um, or because they ate something, uh, do they now feel that they, um, they need to sort of um, punish themselves um, and go do X activity? Um, so really taking a look at the intent of the activity um, is important. Going off that, how can friends, family, or coaches know if an individual is struggling with excessive exercise? Mm. For friends and family, um, I think just a good ask, you know, starting to ask somebody, um, hey, what do you think about skipping practice today? Or... Um, would you like to, you know, spend time with me, or, or could I join you? Um, and and you know, could this be something we do together? Where um, that might give somebody a bit of a, a cue around the intensity of the activity if they're if they're doing that activity with the individual, um, or they're, um, you know, if they feel that they can take a rest day and. Um, go get ice cream instead or take a rest day and go out to a movie or just hang out and get some coffee instead. Um, if they're noticing somebody canceling um, plans and, and uh, really prioritizing um, activity, um, those are all really great cues. For coaches, um, I would really encourage that they, they check in with all their athletes regardless of whether they think there is an issue or not. Um, and uh, really encourage that there are um, rest periods of rest um, for their their athletes that they're working with. Um, I I also you know if I if I could make a plug I would say that it'd be great for um, all all major athletic programs to to have a dietitian on board um, to ensure that those those athletes are being adequately nourished as well. So some other cues to look for from the on the coach's end would be if they have athletes who are showing up, you know, extra early, or they notice um, are staying, you know, considerably later. Um, some athletes uh, who are have a pretty obsessive, uh, compulsive um, relationship with activity might also um, be carrying less food with them or not taking breaks, really pushing themselves hard, beating themselves up a lot um, if they they weren't, you know, making the time that they needed to make or didn't um, get the, you know, performance evaluation that they, that they were hoping for. If we do notice folks refusing to skip practice, practicing late, not eating as much as they should be, or just having really rigid rules around that, what's the best way to bring it up? How do we have that conversation? Uh, such a tricky one. <sighs> Openly and honestly, compassionately, um, and really coming from a place of love. Coming from a place of love and caring that is, is not accusatory. 
um, speaking from you know I statements are really helpful and and what you observe and and the concerns that you have for that person um, are really important I would discourage any um, mentioning of the body um, you know any you know, you've I've noticed your body has changed in this way or that. Um, usually not as helpful for the conversation and can really just kind of encourage the eating disorder more. Um, so focusing on on I statements and the concerns that you have for that person, what you notice. So for example, um, hey, you know, I really wanted to spend time with you today, Claire, and I was bummed that that we didn't get to hang out. I've noticed that you, you keep canceling on me um, and you're going to the gym, so... I'm, I'm hoping maybe we can spend more time together. I'm a bit concerned. So if we have the conversation with someone and we say, hey, look, we're concerned, I'm noticing this or that, and they deny it, they say nothing's wrong, but we deep down really, really think there is something wrong, then what? What do we do from there? Don't give up. <laughs> That's what we can do. Um, be persistent in, in a loving and respectful way. Uh, so I, I like to ask my clients um, who you know may already be coming in or already have come in um, already recognize there is a degree of um, health that they're needing even when there's still ongoing denial about particular areas of the recovery I like to ask them well if if they're if this was problematic if you really felt this was problematic a how would you know like what would be your indicators and B would you reach out for support then because I'm worried that you wouldn't um, and that can sometimes break the ice a little bit uh, to put the, the ball back in their court and say, um, I'm noticing these things and, and I want you to take a pause and see what you're noticing then and reflect on that. Um, I would really encourage friends, family, coaches to um, not give up on this person and to um, continue with those I statements and and things that they um, they notice um, how this person's relationship with activity might be impacting their life. So those sort of canceled um, friend get-togethers um, and or the um, you know not showing up to or showing up to practice really early and how that maybe impacts them. I think that's a great way to approach it. I do just love the idea of, you know, sticking with it and we know it's not going to be easy. I mean, I can't think of a time anyone told me it was an easy process, but it is a process and if you stick with it, I do feel like eventually folks will find themselves in their voice and they will seek help. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I think as you were asking that, I was just thinking about how um the sort of obsess excessive or compulsive activity um, element and then also that sort of orthorexic elements of eating disorders are so culturally accepted in our community and um, the more that our culture, our, our community sort of rejects that as being culturally accepted and, and praised, um, applauded, um, then I think the better um, chance people will have at getting the help that they need. Uh, so the more that somebody does stick with saying, hey, this doesn't quite feel right to me, I'm worried about you, um, I think that that will be really helping those who need to get the help get the help. In the same vein, before we wrap up, 
As someone that's highly specialized in diet and nutrition, what's one thing you wish everyone would know? Oh, man. This is one I should have thought about longer. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I wish everyone knew. Mm, All foods fit. And there are no healthy, there are no unhealthy. There are no good, there are no bad. Food is not inherently, um, does not inherently have any moral value. It has the value that we as humans place on it. And if we can get back to a place of removing that value of food, then we can become, again, more intuitive. Beautiful. Thanks for joining us today, Shana. Thank you so much for having me. Here at the EMILY program, we believe that having open and honest discussions about eating disorders will destigmatize the illnesses and make recovery more accessible. The EMILY program is an eating disorder treatment center. We offer a variety of services. We have outpatient therapy, we have inpatient treatment, really anything that could fit into your schedule, we try and make it work. If you are looking for help with an eating disorder, you can visit us at www.emilyprogram.com or you can call us at 1-888-364-5977. Piecemeal is a podcast hosted by me, Claire Holtz, produced by Nancy Linden and myself, with music by Dan Forkey. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, review, or subscribe to it. If you would like to learn more about the EMILY program or find us on social media, you can search any device at EMILY program. Thanks for joining us.